0: Hello, my name is Israel. I've been involved in hip-hop since the 1980s as an artist, producer, radio show host, journalist, documentarian, magazine editor, hip-hop advocate, and pundit. Over the years, I've interviewed hundreds of interesting people in music, media, and more. Welcome to Sounds from the Underground, the podcast from Insomniac Magazine we learn from both those who reside below the surface and those who've preached it. On this episode, I speak with music icon Chuck D. The legendary microphone titan provides insight into Public Enemy's newly released masterwork, "What You're Gonna Do When the Grid Goes Down." He shares his thoughts on the current state of affairs in 2020, working with Rage Against the Machine reboot and supergroup Profits of Rage. And he drops jewels from his immense career that has spanned well over three decades. The iconic frontman for one of music's most potent groups and in many ways the voice of a generation continues to bolster messages of empowerment and the importance of hip-hop that rebels against society's ills. During this in-depth discussion, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee enlightens and inspires while imparting immense knowledge from decades of railing against the hype, raising the roof, and fighting the powers that be. It's my pleasure to introduce the Chuck D interview. 2020, a year that I don't think anybody will forget. But we have a brand new Public Enemy album And the question for you, man, is, has the grid, if nothing else metaphorically, gone down? We have a pandemic that has shut down so much of our daily activities. We have racism being blurted from the highest powers. We have civil unrest. Is the grid down?
1: Yeah, it's good that you said that is, I mean, the grid might be down already, you know? And, and I, and it's a figure of speech because I use the, the uh, forum of an album to use it as a platform for the question, are you prepared against governments, plural trickery, uckery, and so on and so on. Are you prepared? Um, and ask the question, what are you going to do when? The grid goes down. So it's good that you brought up, Wayne, because the grid already could be down, you know, um, figuratively. Maybe in a virtual sense is that people's guards are down. Um, I I think Israel, I think right now we're in a time where people listen listen a little bit too much with their eyes. So three-card money games, could be played on them because just because they see it as fact, they believe it's fact, or they might say it's a lie just because they want to say it's a lie and they don't know the distance between any lie and how far it is or close to any truth. And so governments like to play with that. I'm a culturalist. The beautiful thing about culture is we figure out how to work together, coexist through the language of culture where everybody could be in a room and say, I dig that. And we find our commonality. It's like sports in a way. Um, Governments like to split people up, categorize them, size them up, put them in compartment boxes and keep them away from each other. And also, I mean, each other, if you could separate human beings by fake boundaries and, lines drawn in the mountain or the sand that, that 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 uh are considered nations or governments or countries then you know that you'll have you know governing order over human beings and even if that is being replaced by machinery we have seen that this this transfer, the final transfer of citizens into netizens has yet to been fully realized, but that's what it is. Now you got people who are netizens who have no net literacy, don't know how to read what's coming out. Don't even have net etiquette, haven't been taught how to go about, you know, handling and being on it. That they're so unsure that even now you could pay a physical price for your virtual existence. So we're going into here where, where I think we've we finally, like the like the Matrix was saying, we finally are losing the battle in the in the battle of machines and artificial intelligence and the governing order that wants to make sure that they govern these things before it starts to be governed by these machines. It's like it's crazy, right?
0: It is. It is. Not to mention, of course, that. In so many ways, society is feeding the machine, right? Nineteen eighty-four, we all know about that, and now we're Whoa, willingly. Wait, wait,
1: wait, 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 wait. wait. <laughs> we all know about no. You're some right. Some of us know about that. Is some of us? This is the this is the, this is the point. Is the biggest difference between twenty twenty and nineteen ninety when we did "Fear of a Black Planet," eighty nine "Fight the Power" is that people have been born and died in the interim. The same swirling mix of people in 1990, many of them are no longer here. No longer here, like move transitioned on and out. The mix that's going on now is probably was born maybe after 1995. And so therefore we can't use, you know, the quick narratives of, Damn, haven't we been through this before? Damn, didn't we read that before? Damn, wasn't we, you know, kind of like set up to understand that this is going to come at us from left field and that's going to come up from the... All series off the table. This is why we we always worked on the systemic ills of society, systemic institutional racism, um, systemic sexism, all the isms. You know what I'm saying? to work at these, uh, to erode it at its core. Music and culture was able to do it like, you know, subversively, subversively, like kind of like, you know, knock knock at its door, bam, 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 chip away at it, erode it. Um, because these things, you know, uh, will continue to be into the framework of our society if we don't say, oh, that shit's crazy. That person that said that is out of their mind. Out of their mind. We got to continue to like fight the power means you got to fight for love. You got to fight for peace. You got to fight for these things because um, there is a imposing of those ills on us and our wills. So I mean, hey, look, look. I mean it's simple like in the vote that we got like 30 some odd days no one has a clue we've seen a, like a clown show last night unbelievable very scary, scary to some
0: never seen anything like that hard to
1: hard to even navigate its understanding to your children who it's hard to explain my you know how to explain this year to them right
0: it's it's surreal is what it is.
1: It's surreal. And it's and, and, and you have to hold on tight to the reins. And you have to hold on to your senses and your sanity to be able to guide people out of the fog. But the next 30-some-odd days, the reason why voting is very important to understanding, the incentive for people of color, black folks, brown folks, especially... Um, is that it's poor folks, you know, is that it's the side that you're on versus the side that hates you. Now you gotta be plain and simple, the side that hates you, what well, you know, that's a strong word. No, when they say your lives don't matter or matter as much, they're saying they hate you. How are you gonna dress that up any other kind of way? Your lives don't matter. So when you say black lives matter, It's not an organization, it's it's a movement. Every single organization in in the past that said, we're going to speak out against black people getting hanged in trees. We're going to speak out against segregation. You don't think that was Black Lives Matter? So when people call it a terrorist uh, organization or terrorist motto, and that comes from the president of the United States, who will lock you up for 10 years for taking down a statue that might've said black lives don't mean shit. <laughs> that, that, you know, it all comes down to us asking a question. Are you prepared? It, it might be the call right now in a weird way to Jimmy Hendrix asking, are you experienced? <laughs> are you prepared? You know? And, uh, and I'm not trying to get, I'm not even getting spooky. I'm not getting scary. I'm not getting conspiracist theory. You know, I'm just being to the point of, as a triple OG, you, we've seen this stuff before. We've read 1984. But not only did we read it, we comprehended it. Because reading and comprehension have to go hand in hand with each other, especially now because when people out there go out and say oh man that's fake news or they they shoot down scholarship and scholars which is the worst thing any society could do they they throw it to the side like tenure don't mean nothing or skills manifested from talent Eh, I'm i'm just i don't i don't i don't dig it so it don't mean nothing it don't matter once you get to that point man you could be up there saying the absolute truth, and it'd be dismissed like it's nothing. And the reason I, I, you don't dismiss scholarships is because scholars spend their time reading and comprehending the shit nobody else wants to read. Indeed, they, indeed. They spend the look, They spend the time. What they they spend the time reading the ugly lies or truth, and have to comprehend them. And then they read this thing that might be perceived as the truth, the things that they might lean towards. They have to read them both. They have to comprehend them both. Then they got to debate and be equipped to debate. Just like Dr. John Hendrick Clark read everything until so he was down there blind. You couldn't challenge him. He read 60% of the bullshit. He read 40% of the stuff that he was able to use. Got to read them both. We in the regular marketplace as, as people, we read what we like to read. We don't read the shit that we don't want to read. When you read what you like to read and you talk to shit that you only want to talk, then that's dogmatic. Then done, Now you're, into, you're leaning into religion now. Mm. And you want that religious res- result. So not to get long-winded, that we overstand and we might have the survival skills to mentally look over the fog, but our loved ones are under the fog.
0: So what do you you say to folks, and I come across folks on a regular basis, that have a reaction, either, either one, they've disengaged, or two, they really have bought into the idea that something as simple, once upon a time, it wasn't that simple, as voting is irrelevant, it doesn't matter, it won't be counted. I know they try not to count it, but they bought into the fact that it just doesn't count. What do you say? What do you
1: do? You, well, you break, you break it down to simple simple facts. Like, I tell him, I said, voting is like washing your ass in the morning. They're like, I said, well, yeah, when I – and mean, it's like you don't have to wash either. You don't have to wash. But you can't go around saying that something stinks. It's just right. it's something that adults got to do. And it ain't about the beauty pageant of the top. It's about your local – You pull out of your your driveway, your car hits a pothole, it gets kind of damaged, breaking your your steering rods or whatever. Are you going to go to your, well, are you going to go to this Chris Chris Paul State Farm commercial? Or are you going to go to your town or county and say, somebody's got to fix this shit? In the past, before you go to the insurance company, people would go to the county and say, somebody's got to fix this shit. I ain't paying for it. Right. Young energy work like this is, they would tie the excuses. The list, you know, the list hit a tipping point. They were like, oh man, okay, you know, um, Rice, Tamir Rice, Trayvon They, I mean, by the time it gets down to to Chauvin killing George Floyd and then the Breonna Taylor, yo, man, it was like yo, Young Energy was like, yo, come on, man. Come on, the the list is turning pages now. It's like, come on, man. So what they did is march on their locale Mm -hmm. for reform. It got changed. They didn't Mm -hmm. go to D.C. They said, listen, we're going to go to so Evansville, Indiana, and say, we got a problem right here. And people were surprised around the world, no, no, people were surprised, but around the world and the country, people was like saying, This is wrong and we're speaking to this. And they were just surprised. They thought that this would just be a a, a local thing and it would eventually die down. So Younger Energy spoke to that. They moved to it. They were tired of authority being uncertain, giving them orders stand for a month, and they're like, well, where's the fact and they just you know it spilleth over
0: and I and guess that's the the positive out of all of the all of the cloud of of technology and social media is that you do have some folks that have woken up, if nothing else because they could see it on their screens it's called the
1: it's called the world." wide web and until the world wide web gets truncated like i've been in i went to turkey and they cut the the rest of the world off from their web i was like yo i got to get out of here to get back online turkey did that i foresee in the 2020s a lot of countries are going to be pulling that where you won't be able to get out of the uh, out of the wall that's set up to to I mean, people are talking net neutrality, but the other side is just pretty unable to throw up firewalls to keep you from talking to the rest of the world. The rest of the world is the saving grace is. Mm-hmm. The diaspora is, is, is like an umbilical cord for black people. You can't cut that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You cut that and then that becomes a chain in the United States. Black people have never been able to understand the chainery of the slavery of the United States of America when you don't connect to the diaspora. The diaspora has answers. Mm. The learning other kind, it ain't gotta be like, okay, I'm looking at my black face, and I only gotta rely, rely on my black face. No, connect to the fucking world, man. Israel, you know, there's a building on the east side of Manhattan that has been obsolete for years that was first set up to make sure that everybody wouldn't be filling their oats and thinking that they can use the world any way they wanted to do. The name of this building is the United Nations. Mm. And when people, when countries convened and nations convened post-World War II, and actually was going back and forth in that building in the Cold War, they were like, yo man, this place you gotta report your ass to. This is what we set it up. It's that extra Geneva Convention shit. Eventually, the powers that be trying to play it like, well, we the big brothers here and all those other you, we got a different set of rules than y'all got. Eroded in the eighties, nineties, and to the point it was obsolete. They may as well make lofts out of that beautiful building. Wow. Malcolm what people some some people say Malcolm was really pressured and scrutinized and held up against, you know, threats when he said, I'm going to take the United States to the United Nations. Mm. It's 1965. Mm. Maybe that began a, a, a situation where it became de-emphasized over the next 35 years. Last time, last time I was at the United Nations, mm. crazy, right? That, that I was at the United Nations, and they had Gaddafi speaking for about two hours in there. Wow. And as I was looking on the screen, I was like, "Hmm, mm. this dude gonna be gone in a minute." And they let him talk, talk, talk. Uh, the, the dude from Iran, I, they let him talk, talk, talk. Chavez was already like down and out. They already got Hus, uh Hussein, and they said they got Bin, Bin Laden, a dude that <laughs> I really seriously never believed was a real person, but Mm. who am I? And That's the last time I was at the United Nations, bro. Wow. Before that, I was at the United Nations where we did something culturally, Mm. and and the Zulu Nation, the United Nations got together, and uh, I think Herc and Bambada um, had a doctrine where the world was using hip-hop as a culture. It was when I was inside.
0: Right. So, I'll tell you, man. I I, I found it surreal. It sounds sounds weird to say this, especially because of the network. But I found it surreal to see and hear the fight, the power, the uh, the the new version on BET. Mm-hmm. Uh, simply because I think, in many ways, BET is kind of strayed from the essence of what BET was when it started. But beyond all that,
1: and you know you know throughout the years we had our beat down matches, right?
0: Mm, mm. Yeah. And
1: they're mm. going through their changes and their changing of people. It's almost like Jesse, you know, I, I boil it down to the individuals too. Mm-hmm. When I first heard about it, and I'm not to c- cut you off, just give you the yeah. fact. Yeah. Jesse Collins, who I know as a journalist, done some things with him, interviews. He moved over to BG as a producer and all mm. and thought that, you know, it was a great idea to use Fight the Power as a narrative of this movement. I, You know, me, I'm always there with rap music and hip-hop for many people doing over the rap station and, and things like that. So I was like, well, all the artists that's out there, I'm pretty sure somebody could speak some power to this moment. Mm. They felt that, nah, because it's a different music today than it was back then. Meaning what music today is sight, sound, story, and style. It's four different tangents coming at people. It's experience is different. Mm -hmm. So there's no one synonymous audio file that's going to speak to the movement of young people. They figured I'd think different, but then again, I had to think back to like, okay, Fight the Power was a significant mark at a significant time. The Fight the Power I grew up with was the Isley Brothers Mm -hmm. in 1975. Right. Significantly flipped me to say, Mm -hmm. wow, tired of all this bullshit going Mm -hmm. down. They Mm -hmm. say my music's too loud. So I get it when they was like, Chuck, this is what we want to, you know, it's totally up to you. We want to say that Fight the Power can speak to this moment right now. But Love is the dude that's going to put it together with these people. And I would have to be an idiotic curmudgeon. And this is one thing that happens when you're in the Triple OG stage is that you, you, you your number one attribute is that you should recognize positive, good energy, forward mm-hmm. movement and not get in the middle of any of that not get in its way. I was like, it makes sense. Cool. Right. And Quest, of course, is like he's an extra men- member of PE. And he's the guy that, you know, put his ass in it to make it work. So mm. forget what our fights with BT in the past for this moment. It's almost like, I mean, I grew up as a Met fan. I couldn't wear a Yankee hat because My pop said the Yankees was like the next to the last team to have black ball players, so you know, why are you going to wear that when you know Brooklyn Dodgers had Jackie Robinson and that's where black and also Brown, you know, players was always doing their thing? They don't wear no Yankee hat here, but you know, fast forward 45 years later, it's it's, it's it takes on the context of its definition of its linear time and right. era, right? So You know, there's always there's a side of me that says, "Okay, BT, I have to look at anything in the past of then and where we at now, and what can we do now, and, and what can we do together now to speak to this moment. It's a reachable moment, so it should be a teachable moment."
0: Indeed, no question. And my, I mean, I thought it was a beautiful thing. I was just, you know, I had many things going through my mind, but for you in particular. I was wondering this song, this rallying cry that you created in the in the late eighties. How are you? How are you digesting the fact that here we are, thirty plus years later, and it's as relevant as it was when you had all those people in the street in Brooklyn filming that video.
1: Well, a lot of people say, "Well, Chuck, are you disgusted, discouraged by?" That thing, a lot of things haven't changed. But once again, like I told you, it's like we we got people who have born, been born, and people who have died. So you work on the systemic ills because you're not dealing with the same people. The people always change. So I'm not. Yeah, it could be a little discouraging, but you got to move on from that. You got to stay proactive. No if, question. Your, if, if smoke, if it's smoke, man, your lungs got to fight to breathe through the smoke. Well, you got to find some fresh air. You got to keep it moving. So I had time to think about, um, is it a shame that we're saying fight the power 30 years later? Because 30 years is long culturally. It's not really long in real life. True. You know what I'm saying? You know, we, we've known each other like 25, 30 years ourselves. It seems like yesterday mm-hmm. in real life. Mm. Culturally, we we see a lot of water under the bridge, as they say.
0: True, true. So on the album, I was I was, I mean, I thought it was amazing. I thought it was a beautiful, in many ways, just you know, tribute to what real hip hop is. But mm-hmm. one of the things that I was really fond of was hearing your brethren in this thing, uh, at rock and Mike D, and of course, run the MC. And I had to think to myself, I mean, as a fan, you know, Public Enemy number 1, you won. Yeah. But as I'm hearing it, I'm also thinking about what you were thinking as you were recording it. Was it bringing back memories to that golden era of hip-hop?
1: Number one is the shining moment to me personally. I wanted to do... I. I wanted to do a record that would pay homage to the guys that brought me in on that song. Run DMC and the Beastie Boys, Dr. Dre, the original concept, our Mm -hmm. homeboy, Bill Stephanie, brought me in the recording industry. Rick Rubin chased me down for two years, 85 and 86, 84, to get that song Public Enemy number one. In the foundation of Def Jam. And I said no. And when I finally said yeah, it was under the terms of we all going to come in. Hence, we all bum rush the show. Mm. We all, yo, bum rush the show. You know, Yo MTV Raps is named after Yo bum rush the show.
0: Wow, that I didn't know.
1: Yeah. I mean, the show started out in in the UK, fed by by Freddie's homegirl, Sophie Bromley from French from France, actually was the host. So yes, Yo MTV Raps became a small little sensation over there, and then they made a national uh, TV show in 1988. We did the pilot there, because we was on tour with Run and DMC. Mm -hmm. Shining moment of the album was Run handing off the mic to DMC. Wow. (laughs) When I asked, I always work with DMC, Uh the king of rock. We do things together but then i was like yo man i like to get joey on it so d was like yo man call joey and then then uh, i called russell to get joey's number again then i hit joey up and i was totally blown away cuz joey was like hell yeah i'm interested wow and then we had a conversation cuz i know as an mc with a body of work for a long period of time i can have the conversation with run that makes him reminisce and spark up and feel a a thousand percent confident to do his thing. You need also, you need a conversation for somewhere else to tell you like, yo, do your thing. And I told Ron, I said, yo, yo, Joe, we just want you to be you, you know, we're not trying to be anything else. And a lot of advanced senior circuit MCs don't have a, the conversation B, don't feel confident that they can do what they want to do or do what they, they, what they do in an uncertain climate or whatever. Of, and we said, nah, we got the platform, just do you. Mike and Ad Rock was a little bit more difficult because they made a pact with each other that them as the Beasties mm-hmm. will not be probably doing any records. Right. But after finagling and having conversations, like, I get it, you know, without Yalke but you guys can, we can routine around that. And they came around and delivered two routines, the one in the beginning and the one in the middle that our producer, David Seadock Snyder, Mm -hmm. who's a creator of not just this Public Enemy album, tying it all together, but also a creator, uh, engineer, producer of Loud Is Not Enough, to me, which with myself, the, the. the MC DJ sound system of public enemy with Lord and Jahi and myself and a little bit of James Bond, you know, artists on the spit slam record label group. I mean, CDOC went from that. And when we did food as a machine gun, which was a prelude to tell everybody that it's going to be a public enemy album. I don't know how many ears sparked up. Cause it could have been like hyperbole, like, ah, we've heard this before. Mm. But flavor was a sign when we did food as a machine gun, Mm. which probably to me is the most relevant song of our times because as COVID started to box people in, we've lost a lot of people because diabetes, hypertension, and cancer has wreaked havoc on us in 2020.
0: And respiratory diseases, asthma, Certainly Havoc. relevant, yeah.
1: Havoc. With alternatives like sugar and salt, I mean, sodium and sugar and just food deserts just hmm. come blasting us. So anyway, long story short, Doc tied the the public enemy number one together. And to me, that's the shining moment. Uh, it was like... I'm saying in verses, like, I'm talking about 83 and 84, so I'm not trying to be present-day hip. <laughs> I'm bragging about 83 and 84 like like it's yesterday.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: why not? It is yesterday. But yeah. I think crossing new territories, and I think it's significant that we have Ice-T on the record, uh, on Smash the Crowd, which carries over into two records, I, every time Ice touches the mic into a decade, he ushers everything in. He ushered in emceeing into the 30s. Mm. He ushered in as an MC into our 40s. Mm. He ushered in emceeing into our 50s. And he broke ground as an MC at 60. Now he's 62. Mm. I turned 60. Mm-hmm. So he's always rhyming in rare air. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I don't have half the, I don't have the full burden of right. entering the marketplace because Ice has already done half the battle. And we could talk about MCs all day long. Mm-hmm. We could talk about MCs to the to the to the sun goes down and the moon comes up, but you can't name many MCs at 62. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's <laughs> you true. Can. You can't. That's not, true. And, not at all. And I remember when, as you said, I remember when it was 30, it was like, wow, he's 30.
1: Culturally, it's a long time. In real life, it's really not.
0: True, true. That being said, I mean, in hip hop specifically, I guess because it is so young, it appears that you have this, I don't know, you have this, Idea that there is a threshold, you know, after you, I don't know, after you get to, what, 27?
1: Well, they said the same <laughs> thing about blue the blues, though. See, when you study music and so study culture, you find out that you're kind of really not doing anything new. Mm-hmm. But the thing that made the hip-hop rare from any other musics before is, is that it's, it comprises primarily of rap music. And rap music is a rarity because it's a vocal on top of music, because of the ability to overdub a music that's already defined. Mm. So saying that rap records would disappear and stop, like we've been hearing all our lives, that's as silly as saying, I, I wonder when these singing ra- records are going to quit. Right. You only got three vocal applications. You got talking, singing, and rappers in between. You come up with a whole bunch of definitions for something that might be more singing than rapping and more, you know, talking than rapping, but really it's seriously a rapper cemented the middle as a legitimate vocal. Mm-hmm. This wasn't a legitimate vocal. It's a bit, people have been rapping for a long time, but it wasn't looked upon as being a legitimate vocal style. They toyed with it. Right. I mean, you could find rapping with Louis Armstrong doing mm-hmm. his thing and, cab Calloway, and i mean it was one time i saw like i think judy garland was rapping in the 1944 Mm -hmm. movie she was saying rhyme over the beat but it wasn't looked upon as being you know yeah okay you're doing that thing
0: right it was like a novelty
1: novelty, right they didn't have no words for it right you know i mean we could find like 10 records i'd like to probably do that an album full of Songs that could be raps, but, you know, like that Judy Garland thing, Mm -hmm. maybe see if if we could put beats behind it. But that'll be (laughs) interesting. I'm going to write down that note.
0: There you go. (laughs) That being said, you know, the, the 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 legitimacy, if you will, or the perception of legitimacy of hip hop. What was it like for you? Being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, coming from an environment where it, it wasn't acknowledged, it there were no awards, where it wasn't taken seriously, where they didn't think it was going to last another year, what was that like?
1: Well, number one, you know, early days of hip hop, cats always use Hall of Fame. You keep on and you don't stop. You're gonna know my name because I'm shock rocket to the Hall of Fame. You know that type of stuff, right? Yeah. It always was used, and then of course you got rockers that come out, man, like heavy metal guys, long hair, like. Rap music's not rock and roll. It's not rock and roll. We the rock, we the fucking roll. There you go. <laughs> we if we not we might not be rock, but what has ever been the roll? <laughs> when I say that is, it paralyzes them. Because, of course, you know, they forget us. When we got in there, we got in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame the same year that Donna Summer was got in the Rock and Roll Mm. Hall of Fame Mm -hmm. posthumously. And you know, there was a whole, and also Mm -hmm. Rush. Mm -hmm. So Rush is rock. Mm -hmm. Public Enemy, yeah, well, rap, well, rap, rap. Okay, Donna Summer? And I was like saying, yes, Donna Summer is totally the role. I want to roll with her. (laughs) and they and all the rockers is can't come up (laughs) they can't come up with anything they can't they can't answer to that it paralyzes them i said it's the rock and roll hall of fame Mm. you already said what rock is what's roll Mm. roll is everything else i like that ain't the rock hall of fame it's the rock and roll hall of fame Lil Richard was rock and roll. Mm, you got that right. Black Sabbath is rock. Mm-hmm. Sam and Dave is roll. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no question. So no question. that's how we paralyze that, right? And 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 the gift of language, the gift of words, mm. the gift of lacing our tenureship. With some words today. You know, it's like you're in a world war of this with people are trying to reduce you mm-hmm. with their logic. But I would say, I, I, you know, I'm thankful for academic study, bro. I'm thankful for academics around me. I'm thankful for having to be in university and, and have mm-hmm. an honorary, you know, doctorate because i actually made an impact in my university instead of like they threw it to me because i ended up being famous or infamous or whatever no no i could go to my university and and i would see pioneering road marks that mm. i left there that they acknowledge that this is where it started and he took this around the world so i welcome that i don't i never downplay it and i said well when you have this teaching and this education it's to be shared and given to all free of charge mm.
0: yeah what's your what's your proudest moment man i mean you know rock and roll of fame it seems as though that went beyond the ceiling for hip hop Right. But then we have the Grammy Hall of Fame. We have I mean, so many different accomplishments, you know, some of the best records by the you know, most respected magazines in history of, of the music industry, the the, the billboards and the, the Rolling Stones, et cetera, et cetera. What is what are you most proud of in your long journey in the industry?
1: I'm the most proud of. When somebody can come to you and say thank you. Mm. I mean, seriously. I mean, we're culturalists. We offer culture. We do music and stuff like that. But it's got to be something else that has been done for a person to say, "Yo, thank you. You changed my life." Mm. And we've gotten it all over the world. The only thing we can say is give thanks. Is it doesn't. Like, you know, I haven't given. You know what I'm saying? I give myself, but it has to be like there's a connector from somewhere else that you're able to ride and actually deliver. And I'm happy for all, all of the contributors, all my guys, and, and, and you know, the ladies have always contributed to Public Enemy and being accountable for the delivery of, of, of people feeling that they could be more out of themselves. The human spirit definitely travels um, within Public Enemy. I'm proud of that. And... Um, But nothing ever could touch the fact that when somebody comes to you and says, thank you, you can't. And it's happened thousands of times. Mm -hmm. And I'm a little bit, you know, I'm a little bit bashful about it because I'm like saying, well, he's thankful to what we all did. So somebody points to me and says, thank you. I'm like, wow, maybe you're putting too much to this, but maybe not. You know, because we are vehicles. We should be vehicles for light, vehicles for, for good energy and positivity. There's enough, I mean, there's enough for that gravity already in the world that, uh, you know, you have to be in some kind of thought of upliftment. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's something that I don't think that many artists, you know, people are like, okay, I like your stuff. I like mm-hmm. your
2: work.
1: Mm-hmm. But I don't have to thank you well, thank you for giving me a moment when I was a kid. Now I'm growing now. Right. I get that. There's artists that I grew up with that I'm like, man, thanks for LTD for making that mu- music that I, I really felt was close to me. But then I might look and I got to look for other LTD you know, fans and they feel different. I, I like to mm. just get that funk going. I mean, so you got a lot of that. Right. But The Public Enemy is just some weird – other thing where people like no thank you for like and i do feel the same way when i listen to curtis Mayfield, feel earth Wind and fire records you know cost the people like nina simone and uncle george clinton
0: there you go who's on who the led
1: us, who led us in to this foundation uh and you know a lot of people go to uncle george for his funk mm. And I reached out to Uncle George for his Funkosophy. Mm. Just told him this two days ago. His Funkosophy, like in the, you know, 68, 69, 70, 71 period, to be able to take this thing called funky music and combine it with psychedelics to come up with Funkadelic. Mm. And those first Funkadelic records and the first Parliament records 69, 70, 71, 72. Before they freed your mind, your ass will follow. And the more the funky behind the one type of stuff. They, they really kind of like asked to funk it. And I, I still can't get enough of that to this day. And he's leading this. Mm. And how 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 man, how dope is that, bro?
0: Was it surreal? I mean, just last night I saw saw you guys on a, a late show. Was that surreal to perform with the the Godfather of Funk, the the I mean, the ultimate legend?
1: It was. It's, it's always surreal being with Unk. It it was always always. It's almost like also with well, I could say more things to Unk because like I. You know, the mindset is so futuristic, quirky, crazy, and similar. We get it. Stevie Wonder is a person, every time I come up with Stevie Wonder, I can't say shit. Mm. I don't know what to say. And he's like, go ahead, Chuck, say something. Bring the noise or, (laughs) you know, fight the powers. Go ahead, do that for me. You know what I mean? And I'm always quiet. Wow. But, you know, it's the reverence of sure. all the, like, wow. I'm kind of like, there is so much there, you know? So much there to Stevie Wonder. He's still here. Mm-hmm. You know, I lost my great, you know, you know, musical figurehead friend, Prince. Mm. Who in in the two thousands, you know, befriended me as somebody, you know, when he wrote in his book of artists that influenced him, I was in that book, I mean, or in that page or whatever. I'm like, get the out of here, man. I'm like,
0: that's amazing. Or
1: Kurt Cobain, you know, Mm. just like yo, Chuck, help me figure this out. Or um, Tupac, you know. So, all these greats that have moved on, and they've name checked me so that, that's a little surreal. Mm. I mean, we always wanted to go and rap music and bend it out, bend it to be greater
2: mm-hmm.
1: not to look at it as being this adolescent uh infantile bastard music only mm. it's weird, it's strange it's and then you know, like uh uh answer to the question before, blues started out as a young person's music.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: When we was able to see blues in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and all that. That's right. Cats were all, they were in their fifth and sixth decade of it. When they started out, they was, you know, they was soldier Boy's age. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, there you go. Robert Johnson was like what? 27. Yeah, I was eight. Oh yeah. 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 yeah before, right. Right. I mean, before, right. You talk yeah, about before. Saying? Right.
0: Yeah. And, and on top of that, I mean, since we are talking about blues, you have the great blind Willie Johnson on that yeah. Voyager spaceship going out to the greatest, the yeah. furthest reaches of anybody's imagination represent so, Chuck Berry too. Yeah. You got that right. So speaking of barriers, the other barrier, you know, that I think about with you is Eric barrier. <laughs> man if he was only president
1: uh <laughs> <laughs> see see we've been there israel we've been there bros. that's what i'm saying so that somebody could look you know and stare at us like what are y'all talking about, what is that it? <laughs> see it's like sh-
0: so the the barrier of being the front man or being a a, a, a lead person in Two iconic bands, so not just PE but also profits. Yeah, man. What was that like? And and what are the what were the dynamics like? How were those different for you? Man,
1: that was like that was like a four-year university study, man, of brotherhood. Mm. And we closed it out, it could not go anymore. We all went back to our individual groups. Raids against the machine was returning. Mm-hmm. And I had to get back to public enemy, be real, had to get back to Cyprus. But it's never one bad day, bro. Four years. Never not one bad day.
0: Wow. Wow.
1: Everybody, from rehearsals to shows, bought their A game every day. Rehearsals, you had to bring your A game. It was no you didn't want to embarrass your area or weakness because it was only six of us
2: mm.
1: and everybody was felt that they were one of the top ranked and no matter of, of music if you want to put me and b as, as tenured mcs morello as a guitarist and you know timmy c as bass brad wilk on the drums dj lord on the turntables mm. yo bro I, every every time I say I cannot be the weakest link here, although <laughs> I'm the oldest, and I try to use age as my excuse. But not one bad day, man. And the dynamics was like it was iron sharp as iron, sharp as steel, sharp as steel. And every night, Israel,
2: mm-hmm.
1: we had a standing ovation, man.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, who does that? I mean, modern music. Like, it's Liberace or something, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, like, standing ovation. Come out for more. I mean, like, I I yelled, I screamed, I exhausted myself. But you know what? I want to just give it to straight up, yo, bravo. You know, I'm I telling you. But from eight, 2016 to the last show. Wow. In 2019, last year at this time, it closed out like a thea- theater play, like a theatrical production. The last show at Prophets of the Rage. I don't know if it happened again, but like I said, we closed it out, and, and mm. that's a chapter mm. that I learned from. B also learned from, Be Real Lord. Lord definitely learned from. Mm-hmm. And each one of, of the Rage members, the band, also understood that this that was something that was special and different
0: and that's saying something i mean for somebody that's toured you know so many countries for so long for you to have had such an impactful experience
1: it was unbelievable i think it was a highlight of my it was a highlight of my performing life because i didn't have to make heavy decisions mm they have to be be leader I was just like uh just like uh, what's the guy in the Godfather you know that was the the um what's his name um I can't remember his name now it's but he was a consiglier. Mm-hmm. and um my role was you know kind of like the sage there
0: right right
1: and uh it was it was something that we can use and bring back to hip hop and rap and public enemy and Cypress Hill. So you saw like the relationship I had I have with Be Real and the relationship that Lord even has with Be Real, because Cypress Hill goes around and performs and Lord is the DJ. Mm. It's 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 truly la familiar. Nice. You know. Truly. I mean Public Enemy at Cypress Hill is like this out of that relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Be Real is amazing, man. Be Real is amazing. He's, he's an amazing leader. It was an honor and the mo- utmost privilege, man, being microphone A2 next to his microphone A1. Mm. A wonderful wonderful experience. You know, I will forever be in debt to his honor, his strength, his fortitude, loyalty, courage. How many times do you hear that from, you know, rappers?
0: Right. Yeah.
1: He he got that. He just got that. Humility. Mm. I mean, a star that he is, is like not one unhumble day, bro.
0: Wow. That's saying a not lot. Not
1: one unhumble day. You could print that, man. Will do. <laughs> not one unhumble. I, I was blown away by Be reals humility, a four-year stretch. Not one bad day. Wow. And, you know, and Morello, the commandante, so, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. You know. So for, for this project, obviously, what seems different is how it's making its way to the world. And that is through Def Jam. And, yeah. and I, I heard you say that that was because of Flave, Me of Flave settled. Yeah. Can you talk a little Me bit about that? What was the motivation for Was it was it resources?
1: Bunch of combinations. I mean, in 1998, I did He Got Game, and I felt at that time that the business was too top-heavy. It wasn't focused. it was kind of caught up in maybe popularity over importance. But the biggest thing is that if I could, I'm a, you know, we're a worldwide artist, so, and your system is still soft. So if I could make it to, you know, 60 countries and do business in 30 of them, and you only could do business in half, but I'm signed to you guys. And you can't get to our territories. You can't get to Beirut, Beirut, but we can. Mm. You're not in Nigeria, but we in Nigeria. Everything is also black market. You're not in Kosovo. You know what I'm saying? You're not in, you know, areas of Chile. All those areas are soft, but they're strong for us. Mm. Internet was the right thing at the right time with the right state of mind, man. Peer to peer. Mm
2: -hmm. Yes,
1: the systems were primitive. But when we did, uh, there's a poison going on in 1999. It was breaking the chains that everybody else would follow. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I did Undisputed with Prince in 1999. I I gave an award uh, to David Bowie in 2000. For Yahoo, you know, David Bowie said the internet will be the saving grace to music. Todd Rundgren, you know. So I've been in that innovative seat.
2: Mm.
1: And so independent was the way of the walk for us for like 20 years, Mm -hmm. man. We met C-Doc on on the enemy board. Mm -hmm. That's where I was able to meet almost like so many of the futurists in Public Enemy for, for 20 years. You know, Public Enemy pave the road to independence in the digital world independently that later on became super highways Mm -hmm. as predicted by harry allen in 1994 on music and our message we follow pursuit in that futurist point of view that's what we're here for but after like you know 2016 i'm doing things with profit My, my dad passed in 2016 flavor's mom passed you know, we had just finished putting out a record that I truly love, Gary T. Wiz produced. Man plans, God laughs. But mm-hmm. I had an incredible experience just with the record, so the the trajectory of what we was doing went in a couple of places. And Flav, who had also had to get his 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 whole thing in order, it happens every three to four years. He got to get his shit together, and I'm there waiting waiting for him to get his stuff together as a person that it's alongside of that, but I, I'm doing profits and he ain't going to do TV. He kind of want to do public enemy, but he kind of like slow gassing about it. So I'm like, okay, slow gassing about it. We kind of like, we did a record called desert. We kind of gave it away free, which also uh, this, this album has some cuts off of it. But at the end of 2019, he kept pushing the issue, like, let's let's do a record, let's do it, let's do it. But he wasn't talking about making the songs or getting in the studio. So we conflicted, because I said, listen, if we do something with a major that you want, I want to do it independently. You don't think, you know, you want to do the independent thing no more. And me, if it comes down to a major, you got a lot of work to do. You give me 10%, you're going to have to give me 25% effort on this. And he's used to giving me 10%. Mm. He'll give you 150% when he's on the stage, but the gig is the gift. <laughs> it mm-hmm. ain't the work.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You got to be in the studio. You got, In order for it to work, you got to work. So when Def Jam became a possibility in that mix, boom, it was like, we'll settle with that. It makes sense. And that's where that happened. Um, the reachers and all the areas of the world and the territories. It's not like it was in nineteen, you know, ninety-eight. It's the year, you know, 2020. So it's touched a lot of areas and, and a lot of these, these super highways are now highways that have been traveled, digital here, vinyl knows where it's going to go. Even CDs are going to pop up, and we're going to do some quirky things like even release seven inches in cassettes even. Mm. So why not get fly with it, get funky with it. Nice. Very nice. So, I mean, Def Jam was the place where we said, okay, we're going to show them that importance is great or even greater than popularity. Or better yet, the question to Def Jam was at what point, is importance great or greater than popularity. Some days you just can't weigh by the numbers. Give you a mm-hmm. case in point is Bob Dylan has been the foundation cornerstone of Sony, CBS, Columbia for 50 or so 60 years. He ain't, he ain't raised up no charts. Mm-hmm. Let's assure you go to that building and try to steal some of the tapes in the vault. Legacy. And you, you have your head chopped off. It's like Miles and Miles Davis up in there. Well, Def Jam knows that the the cornerstones in that legacy is Public Enemy, LL Cool J, Beastie Boys. Mm-hmm. So that that's how that went down. Now the the joy is is that. You have people who have grown up with the myth around them, mm. and no knock on the other artists they've been working. But you know they're working Justin Bieber, mm-hmm. they're working you know this and that. They're working these things, but when something comes across that's like a resonance that's more than where's going to rise up the charts. A lot, a lot of these young people, younger people who've been in the rec- recording business for a while they want to really seriously bring their minds and their ingenuity to the table and their marketing ideas. And some people want, they got graphic, you know, electronic skills. And then when they you give them like, Hey, go ahead, man. They get the logo and they're doing things with it. So it really gives them like a play, a playing forum that they never ever could have experienced before. Mm. And once again, like I said before, it's, it's a travesty for old energy to get in the way of that. Mm. You welcome the forwardness of young energy to go in and move forward with things that you couldn't imagine. Oh, you have to be totally, you know, an elderly narcissist <laughs> 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 to ignore that good energy, man. And, and, and I think that's another joy. That comes out of this—the joy to the contributors that made the record, mm. and the joy to the people who worked the record. Mm. So if they feel great about it, it's my job, number, my number one performance job. Since we're all not kind of getting in the world to perform, perform in front of your contributors and your coworkers, and give them the best performance of appreciation that you could possibly give mm. I mean, I think that's kind of make them feel special, man. Right. Yeah. Indeed. That's why I said, well, one key is like, I said, man, man, I'm not going to put Israel in the protocol. Cause the protocol got me doing 121 wow. interviews in 70 days, but you're not part of the protocol, uh, bro. No, well, thank you. you. Part of lot. the obligation. I am obliged to like, all right, you know what? We got to do this off-grid, off-hours. <laughs> thank you thank okay. you so
0: much, man. Always being well, so much. Thank you so much. I, I do have to ask you, if you don't mind, if, if, speaking of Def Jam, could you share maybe your fondest or one of your most fondest memories of Def Jam during, during the time, during that golden era where all of this amazing greatness was convening at one label, what's your fondest memory?
1: Bondus? Oh, man, there's a bunch of them. Like, going and looking on at Bill Atlas' desk. Bill Atlas, a publicist. Yeah. Oh, there's a Melody Maker magazine, a UK magazine, open. Scotty Ian is playing guitar in front of 70,000 rock fans at the Donington concerts out there in the UK with his axe getting down, public enemy shirt. I'm
0: like, wow. Oh.
1: <laughs> so I name-checked them in a song that we did later on that year called Bring the Noise. Mm-hmm. They were part of uh, uh, Rush Productions' metal department, which had... A Slayer. Slayer and Biohazard. Scott Koenig actually mm-hmm. headed that up. And he got the signal that, that Charlie Benante and Scott Ian wanted to do a cover of Bring the Noise. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like, nah, nah, I kind of done it. And they just said, they went forward with it and we made Bring the Noise and it became what it did. It's like, whoa, okay. That came out of me looking at Scott wearing a Public Enemy shirt, name checking them in Bring the Noise. Them doing the Bring the Noise cover with me then doing the video, then doing the tour and making history that way, just off of like the camaraderie of of musicianship. And, and that's the epitome of peace and love and going forward with it, no matter how jarring it might feel, you, you just don't know, you know. Being that first year out, getting ready to do the uh, the second show on, a, on the first show on the Def Jam tour, and all of us took two buses down there, and on this bus is LL Cool J, Eric B. and Rakim, Dougie Fresh and the Get Fresh Crew, Houdini. Uh-huh. We're all on one fucking bus. <laughs> Being able to be on the, the first License to Ill tour, mm. you know, open it up for the Beastie Boys. Crazy, man.
0: Wow, so much, man.
1: Yeah, it's a lot, man. It, it, it's a, it's lot. a lot. And all, all those moments are, are special. You when Burn, Hollywood, Burn, and Hollywood, and Russell introduces me to this young guy who's like, well, I'm going to be like a, trying to get like the Spike Lee of Los Angeles. And this happens to be a young John Singleton mm. who also is talking to Ice Cube on his side, mm. who he brings into his filming called Boys in the Hood. Incredible history,
0: yeah. History. I, I'm going to ask you. I I, I want to respect your time, so I want to make sure. to We it's pretty late, but I, I I hate to be heavy, but I I love to ask. What do you want your legacy to be?
1: Oh, a curator curator of of, of a form to bring it out of something that people look down at to end up looking up to mm. the music, the culture, you know, the vibe, that's the biggest thing. It's like something that people look down at eventually shifting their neck to look up to and being part of that momentum. I think that's important. Of course. I think all the other things that, that I want to be remembered as are things to, you know, to, you. Uh, closeness in your family that being a straight-up, you know, straight-up dude, you know. Um, you know, nice to a fault, but, you know, but that's not my calling to be different than that, you know. As you, that, that should not stop you from having some character, some values, integrity, and grace. You know, the world, if it's crazy, it seems... Should not stop you from having those attributes or, or, or working on having them. Yeah.
0: Well, you certainly have accomplished all of those things in a world beyond that. So, thank um, you. I will tell you, some, thank
1: you, man. And then you got you guys. You know, you and Tony put such a institution up there. I'm happy to be a part of, it, you know, somewhat, and and also being able to salute and parade all the efforts that you've done, man. And so thank you.
0: means a lot, man. So just when you thought the interview was over, uh, we have a little bit more. Chuck D shared insight about a project that he is very passionate about and has put a lot of effort into now for well over two decades, the groundbreaking rap station.com. So here's Chuck on a little bit about that.
1: A rap station, 10 station channels. We're doing real well now. We totally curated 24 hour day stations. And uh, if a person wants to hear hip hop all day as an instrumental, it's there. They want to hear women 24 hours, seven days a week. She She-move- movement radio is it hip hop gods is acts and artists. So, you know, they have over 15 year careers that curated by bad flatline wanted. So, and Planet Earth, Planet Rap brings you hip hop from around the world, just like NPR would cover rap music and hip hop, different languages. So they got a different arrangement on how they able bring it across 24 hours a day. So that's something that I'm twirling in and working relentlessly on and definitely want to salute and give credit to those that helped build it up to that point.
0: Awesome, man. Thank you. Yeah, that's something we didn't even talk about your uh, contributions in radio from BAU to global.